Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, more proof that China was withholding supplies and details about how bad this pandemic was. It appears that Quebec, specifically Montreal, walking back some of their opening strategies. And an iconic Hamilton bar and live venue is closing. This ain't Hollywood has been sold. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Late last week, we were talking to Sam Cooper from Global News Out West in Vancouver. He's done uh, some incredible reporting over the last several years about Chinese gangs and the fentanyl situation, real estate and money laundering and such uh, coming into British Columbia. Uh, and had a report uh, out uh, at the end of last week, which it now seems that uh, a lot of people have picked up on. Uh, a new report suggests that uh, U.S. officials, and, and we'll see who else, uh, believe that uh, China covered up the extent of the COVID-19 uh, epidemic for uh, several days way back at the beginning of all of this in order for them to stockpile supplies, even supplies that came from Canada, uh, and and stopped uh, sending supplies out from China to other countries in order so they could have enough uh, for the ensuing pandemic. Let's bring in Gordon Holden, director of the China Institute, professor of political science, University of Alberta. He is with us now. Gordon, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. I am healthy. Uh, I will say a little bit bored being in four walls, but no different than anyone else. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, many said and, and have for weeks now that China was not transparent, was very, very slow to tell us and the rest of the world confirming that this was as bad as it was. Now we're finding out that during that time period, they were actually stockpiling uh, PPEs and such from all over the world and restricting uh, exportation of, of their own. Is that the reason why they were not transparent, do you think? I think it could be at least part of the reason. Now, I have no trouble with China restricting their exports. I think any country is going to want to make sure they have enough for their own first. I hope that we would do the same. But knowing that it was more serious than it was being portrayed and snapping up resources that were in other countries, even if they may have come originally from China, that to me is unacceptable. They may have other inclinations as well. My own view is that the Chinese government party state media tend to basically downplay or suppress bad news. And so they will always put, almost always put a more positive spin on than actually may be the case. I think there may be multiple reasons here, but certainly one of them may have been to um, clamp down on their exports and secure um, supplies abroad, while in my view also trying to downplay the severity and put the best possible spin on the story. What about mobilizing uh, supporters or sympathizers towards China to secure these in other uh, countries? What are your thoughts on that, on the movement here in Canada to secure stuff to send over there? Sure. And the fact that they can mobilize it the way they do. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, that is really problematic on several levels. I don't necessarily blame the individuals. At that point, there wasn't a certainty it was going to spread all over the world, and uh, it was perhaps normal for them to want to help the, the country of origin, the motherland. I mean, Italians may want to send um, help to Italy, etc. Uh, but for the government of China, but doing that through their missions uh, would be unacceptable if it wasn't done in coordination of and with permission from the government of Canada. So that's really unfortunate, and it uh, 
undermines uh, the image of China and Canada, and more dangerously, and this I think would be a mistake, it risks people demonizing Chinese people. That that would include Canadians of Chinese origin. I think that's not where we want to go. So I, I blame, if that is the case and that happened, it's documented, I would blame Governor of China, not necessarily the same individuals who may yeah. have had good motivations, uh, albeit uh, unfortunate and mistaken to get PPE out of Canada to China at a time when we were about to really need it. And I want to reiterate, this is about the Communist Party of China. This is not about uh, the Chinese people. Uh, Donald Trump now attacking China. Uh, therefore muttering, uh, muddying the waters. We know how divisive Donald Trump can be. Uh, how much of that is a challenge to this whole discussion? Will we be holding China to account, or will people point at people like uh, President Trump and say, yeah, this is just all, uh, you know, a lot of malarkey? Um, you know, and then, as you, as you alluded to, all of a sudden the whole racist element comes into it. How do we separate this, make sure we hold the country to account and keep the politics out of it? I think it's probably impossible. I think there's going to be... There's an element, in my view, of President Trump of deflection. I mean, he tweeted today saying that uh, the, um, he was briefed by intelligence only late in January. Well, quite frankly, if you look at the media, open media sources, such as your own and those of print media, they were detailing what was happening in China by mid-January. Uh, so I think there's an element of just deflection and, and self-protection going on there. On the other hand, it's quite... Does that muddy the waters? Yeah, muddy the waters. But still, the Chinese should be called out. They, they had been up front weeks earlier. We could have all been better prepared. And I don't actually think that the response of the West was great either. Uh, yes, the Chinese dragged their feet, and that cost lives, to be sure, in China, and well, certainly outside of China. But it's not as if the West was super swift. We tended to be a bit like a, a bird or a snake, waiting and watching, uh, without perhaps being as diligent as we might have been with the time that we had in hand. How will we hold, how will the world hold China to account for this? When do we have that discussion? It'll be very difficult because it's a powerful country. has lots of, of friends in the world, as in countries that will support it. The UN system isn't going to work. It's got a veto on Security Council. You can tax or tariff China, but beware of the danger of, of that also rebounding against our own economies. If you try and shut down those supply chains overnight, It'll lead to disruptions and price rises because Chinese quality is generally quite good and the prices are good. So there's not a great range of handles. I think some thought ought to be given to this without promising what might be very difficult to deliver. I'd say time for a good policy think. How do you hold them accountable in ways that will be useful, teach lessons for the future, but not uh, hurt us as much as it's hurting them or perhaps even us more than it's hurting them? How did we become so interwoven and therefore so dependent on China? Um, Have we become too dependent on China? Well, we certainly become too dependent on some critical things like medical supplies. I mean, I suspect that, well, part of the problem, if you've got a small population, which as we do, to manufacture, say, printers, I mean, if you want an $800 printer or a $4,000 computer, I'm sure it could all be done in Canada, but the price is going to be very high. So quality and price... Increasing quality, low prices, that's very addictive. But for strategic items, and I would include PPE in that, even if we have to pay more for masks and gowns and all of that stuff, antibiotics, etc., I don't think we want to go back or we want to be in a place where we're 
super dependent even on any one country because if we've seen even the U.S. has been reluctant to continue supplying PPE to Canada. I think some of that industrial output ought to be paid for by Canadians, and that would mean higher prices. We keep it onshore. But you can't keep everything onshore. We're a trading nation, and we'd be a lot poorer if we can't trade and if we try and produce everything in this country. With this latest information that not only they were with China was withholding information on this, but holding it in order to to hoard or stockpile masks and and from other parts of the world, uh, how is the world viewing China? How will they view China after this, especially with what we're hearing now? Well, the opinion in the West, and certainly that includes Canada, United States, Western Europe, Japan, was already sharply negative. It's been deteriorating. Quite frankly, it never recovered to what it was at pre-Tiananmen. So that's already a bit of a lost cause. But this has sent the numbers even lower. They can't actually go that much lower. Uh, if you look at the Pew Institute, does very good soundings of international opinion vis-a-vis China and other countries. Uh, so it's, it's low and lower, and that does have implications for China. Its prestige is low. But one has to be careful. If you look at developed, less developed countries, uh, you find positive, and even Eastern Europe, much more positive views amongst the publics of China. They may not have free media, so they may be listening to echoes of state media. Many of the Chinese broadcast networks are available um, in other languages through most of the world, English, French, Arabic, Russian, you name it. So they're pumping out their own story, and many of those people may not be getting the same critical analysis that we have in the West. So I think it's very much divided into, bifurcated, the West developed countries with pretty wary views, and then much of the third world with much more rosy views. Gordon Holden has been with us, director of the China Institute, professor of political science, University of Alberta. Gordon, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you, and the same to you and your listeners. Thank you. All right. As uh, we slowly start to open things up, Marvin Ryder is with us, business professor at the Group School of Business, McMaster University. He is with us now. Marvin, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. I'm just fine. Thank you. Uh, trial and error. Is, is that what we're doing here? I mean, we're balancing risk. How, how, do we, how do we make these decisions, especially if you're a political leader? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the one obvious side of this is that people are getting tired of being in quarantine. We're seeing this in the United States with armed protesters uh, heading to state legislatures and demanding that they be let out of quarantine. And as the weather gets nicer, I think that's a, a natural human reaction to this versus what the data is telling us. And as you pointed out, we're on the back side of the curve and the numbers are going down but we really need a two-week, 14-day period. And in the last 14 days, although most of the days show a downward trend, every now and again we, we have a dick up, and when we dip up and then we come back down again, we really need it to be consistent. Otherwise, if we release people too early, we're going to be back in this measure, locked down for another period of time, and everything we've done up to now will be for naught. So I like what Ontario is doing. I think Ontario has said, all right, we're going to we're going to give you an olive branch, folks. You've been in quarantine now for almost seven weeks. Here's a little olive branch. We're going to open some businesses that are just naturally socially distanced from each other. For instance, uh, people who maintain a golf course, go on out there, mow the lawns, roll the greens, but you're going to be millions of miles away from anybody else, no danger. A garden center that can have some curbside pickup and delivery, and then work out in your garden. We understand that. Uh, people who are involved in construction projects, 
but big, big construction projects at universities, at marinas, those things are fine. I like what Ontario is doing. That's a good measure for this week. Again, we'll measure. We'll see how it goes. Maybe we can let some more businesses go next week, and over a six- to eight-week period, we'll open. Quebec, I feel, is jumping the gun. More than half of Canada's cases of COVID-19 are in Quebec. The numbers in Quebec are flat for sure. Not sure I'm seeing that same downward trend. In fact, yesterday we had news out of Quebec that there were nearly a 1,000 tests that had not been properly counted. And, of course, they were all counted yesterday. That's not fair because they accumulated over the month of April. But most of those from the Montreal area, I would be very worried about sending kids back to school next Monday. I feel that's too early. We just need to see more cases going down. Remember, it's not the health of the kids that's got me worried, but the kids could pick up something and give it to mom and dad or worse, grandma and grandpa who may be compromised from their immunity standpoint. And then again, we may have people dying who should not be dying. So, you know, slow and steady. Everyone just kind of hold on a little bit more. Uh, The whole aspect of the schools and when to open them, how directly related uh, to the economy is this? And by that, I mean it's tough to open the businesses and tell parents they can go back to work if their kids aren't in school and nobody's looking after them. Right. So uh, certainly, even if I want people to to start doing some jobs, let's suppose I allowed a restaurant to open. Well, if mom and dad work at a restaurant, who's going to take kids, take care of the kids during the day? So both um, schools need to be open, but also child care facilities for those who are under five years of age uh, should be open. We need those two things to go together. That's, again, why I like the Ontario strategy. Most of those kinds of businesses employ a relatively small number of people. Therefore, I don't think you'll have that same child care issue. But if we're really going to go back to the mainstream, like the retail stores can open up, the, the hairstyling salons, the nail salons, all of those sort of service agencies, dentist's office, we've got to have child care and schools at the same time. And Ontario has said those are not going to be open for the month of May. So I think, again, Doug Ford is just cracking the door open ever so slightly. I like what he's doing. I really feel that Quebec is going too fast. Uh, How difficult will this be for businesses to balance uh, opening up, which is obviously positive, but in some situations, a limited amount of people, uh, more social distancing, especially with restaurants, you're talking about half the the population inside. And and even once the doors do open, are people going to want to come back right away? Right. Well, let's first talk about the consumers. Consumers have got two conflicting things going on at the moment. On one hand, when I tell you, when I say to you, Scott, you can't go to a restaurant, you can't get your hair cut, you can't do those sort of things, what's the one thing you now desperately want to do, the thing I told you you can't do? So when we give the all clear, I think there are going to be people who are sick of staying at home and let's go to a restaurant and let's sort of celebrate the end of this. That's going to be one reaction. But then the other reaction is, but, you know, is it really all clear? Are we going too early? So my advice to any small business person as you're about to reopen, demonstrate through your Facebook account, through your social media, some of the protective measures you're going to take. For instance, perhaps when I go to your restaurant, staff are still going to be wearing uh, masks. Or perhaps you're going to require me as a patron to have a mask that I'll wear until the food comes. Obviously, I'll take it off to eat. But when I'm just sitting there uh, uh, preparing to order, maybe there'll be masks. Maybe there'll be disposable gloves 
that'll be changed after every meal. Uh, maybe there'll be face shields. What what are you doing? And that gives me that extra sense that I'm patronizing someone who still values my health as I come back into your business. We've certainly heard about that. And, you know, I, I believe it was Longo's has stated that as of May 4th, they want uh, people in the store wearing masks. And many have said, you know, if we go out and this is the new normal, uh, we can certainly do this with uh, safe distancing and such and masks. But we certainly know that there is still a shortage of supplies for all of these. Many have said we shouldn't be doing this till we have more testing. But we certainly know we don't have enough supplies. We don't have enough testing. So how do you yeah. how do you balance that? Right. So for one thing, I think when people go out and we use the word mask, we're talking about a different kind of a mask than we'd be using in a healthcare environment. Those have been named the N95 masks, and I don't think that's what we're asking people to wear. Just something that would keep your breath, the moisture in your breath, staying inside a cloth mask, a rather simple very simple kind of protective mask, not at the N95 level. Make sure healthcare workers have that kind of protective equipment. Same thing with the gloves. We're talking about, you know, sort of uh, a regular um, uh, nitrile glove that you would have just for chores around the house, uh, refinishing furniture, what have you. You don't have to have the medical grade version of those things. But, uh, it, you know, it, I think at this point, this is about reassurance, reassurance that consumers are still taking social distancing seriously and that the companies are still taking it seriously. I compare what we're doing in Ontario and even in Quebec to some of the things I've seen in the United States, which seems to be that when somebody gets the green light, they just go right back to their old way of behaving. And one day we may be able to do that. That day may be five months from now, six months from now, but just initially as we're stepping out of our houses and going back into those commercial worlds, let's let's be sensitive about the other people around us and let's do our own part to make sure, again, even if I don't seem to be symptomatic, maybe there's something I'm carrying, let's just try not to forget where we've been and, and expose everybody to what I could be carrying with me. I uh, only got about a minute left here, Marvin, but what about the long weekend? There's been very little said about this. There's yeah. been a lot of chatter before about cottages and such. Now uh, golf courses and marinas standing by to get ready. Rumor has it by the middle of May they'll be open. How does this How does this shape the long weekend? Yeah, well, specifically the May, May long weekend, uh, Monday, May 18th is the holiday, so you would mm -hmm. typically think about going away maybe on the 15th or 16th, and that becomes a really critical date. Clearly, Quebec has decided they will be uh, uh, fairly open for that weekend. At this point, Ontario has been quiet, and I would think at some day this week, probably no later than Wednesday of this week, Doug Ford is going to have to make that call. Are we open? Are we closed? Are we partly open? Perhaps it would be okay for people to go visit a cottage as long as you do X, Y, and Z. Perhaps it would be okay to go golfing as long as you do X, Y, and Z. Uh, on the other hand, uh, remember those all those lovely fireworks displays that we typically have on the May 24th weekend. I don't think those will be happening at all. So he he's clearly, that's going to be a real leadership question for him and his ministers, just how open do they want to be for the weekend. And let's also remember, we I saw a wonderful story in The Spectator about Port Dover. Uh, there are uh, businesses down there that really rely on tourists. This is one of the big summer tourist weekends, along with the July weekend, the August weekend, and the Labor Day weekend, they don't want to miss this if they can possibly. So they would be prepared to do whatever it takes to allow some partial opening for this first of those holiday weekends. Big questions for Doug Ford there for sure. Marvin Ryder has been with us, business professor at Groot School of Business, McMaster University. Marvin, as always, thank you so much. Much appreciated. Stay well. Will do. Thank you. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, uh, Ontario, we're, we're certainly hearing lots about um, how we're opening up the doors very, very, very slowly as we go down the backside of the COVID uh, COVID-19 curve. Uh, and oddly enough, we're getting uh, breaking news uh, coming out of Montreal that, uh, and many were saying that, my goodness, they couldn't believe Quebec was being so aggressive and opening up. They've now decided that uh, within Montreal, they're going to bump back now uh, the initial opening uh, from May 11th to May 18th. So they're already walking back some of the opening uh, openings in uh, Montreal because that area is so hard hit. Ontario has created a committee to help businesses get back on their feet and people get back to work. One of the MPPs that is on it is Jeff Yurick, MPP for Elgin, Middlesex, London, and he is with us now. Jeff, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Well, thanks for having me on today. Uh, what can you tell us about this uh, committee? What's the objective here? Well, this committee, which was uh, created uh, uh, with uh, our finance minister, Rod Phillips, as the chair, is basically set to uh, start the recovery phase uh, of our economy so that we have programs in place uh, to ensure that uh, as the economy reopens, uh, they're able to have the support of the government to uh, get the businesses up and running uh, and at the same time ensure that uh, uh, there's there's availability from uh, the, the health side of things to uh, deal with any outbreaks that may occur uh, throughout the province so that we don't have to reshut things down. Uh, we've certainly heard from some businesses as they uh, prepare to reopen and such that they are concerned about personal protective equipment. Is there mm-hmm. enough of this? Should we, you know, I was just talking, for example, uh, to Eric Tuck, the president of the local for the Hamilton Street Railway, the bus service here, and, you know, they were talking about possibly having passengers wearing masks and such. I mean, is that is that an option where people going into stores will have to wear masks? And we do we have the, enough personal supplies for that? Yeah, the, the Ministry of Labor uh, re- released uh, a number of guidelines for about 70 different uh, places of employment, types of employment throughout the province, of how to uh, ensure that they have a safe uh, environment, not only for their workers, but also for the customers coming in. So you'll see a lot of, uh, of businesses taking a look at what the labor guidelines have been put out so that it's a safe space. And, you know, the province continues uh, with the federal government to procure uh, PPE and uh, masks, etc., so that uh, there's availability of that. I know there there was a shortage uh, uh, earlier in the pandemic, and and right now we we continue to procure that that product. So um, that is one of the goals uh, uh, of uh, not only the Ministry of Labor, uh, this this Jobs and Recovery Committee, and the Ministry of Health is ensure that there is an ample supply out there that uh, businesses are are able to utilize. Uh, uh, some people uh, are have been making their own masks to wear outdoors. Uh, uh, when they go out, and I'm sure you'll see uh, an increase of homemade masks as well. Will uh, masks be uh, required in order for some of these businesses to open? Uh, in, in other words, where there, I, I guess there there is safe and social distancing and such, will there be situations where whether customers or staff will have to wear the masks? I think it'll have to depend on the on the type of business and work environment, and those will be decisions, of course, made by uh the business uh or or the the service available at the time just to be able to provide safety uh for for folks but uh you know um at this point it's not a necessity but uh, uh as dr williams the chief medical officer of health has, has stated is if you're if you're going out 
and you're heading into an area that you can't be assured uh, social distancing, it might be best to put on a mask. So I think you'll see a lot more people just in general wearing masks uh, over the, uh, the short to medium term. Uh, many have been comparing uh, Ontario's plan to Quebec's plan and questioning the aggressiveness of Quebec's plan. Uh, we're certainly hearing now that in and around the centre of Montreal, they are walking that back a bit and delaying openings from May 11th to May 18th. Are you concerned that if we do jump the gun here that we will have to walk this back? Well, that's a concern uh, raised by the Premier uh, uh, quite often. That's why we haven't affixed too many dates to our program. Uh, we have a three-phase uh, three uh, uh, program to open up businesses, and uh, we're waiting for two to, two to four weeks to see the numbers going down in Ontario, where the Chief Medical Officer of Health is confident that we're not going to have to walk it back. We're not going to have those outbreaks. So phase one will be starting uh, in, in the next little while. Uh, I think we're over a week now with numbers decreasing, but we don't want to go too early. And we're going to take a pragmatic approach to ensure that we don't have to walk things back. And uh, uh, the key to this is proper monitoring from our, our public health system to ensure that we can uh, react to any outbreaks that may arise. So we're hopeful this, the process that Ontario is going through is the right pace for Ontarians. It's the right pace for the safety and health of Ontarians. It's also the right pace uh, to get our economy up and running. Uh, the long weekend is coming. How big of a challenge will this be? There's been lots of chatter about those going up to cottage country. Uh, the Premier was saying today that uh, Marina's getting ready to to open up and, and sort of alluded that, you know, you can't keep people back forever, especially when uh, the majority of those small towns survive on the taxes that, that cottagers pay. What sort of uh, challenges do you think the long weekend is going to present? Well, I, I think that the, the issue is, is is we've come so far and and it's been over seven weeks of people staying in their home, the economy being shut down. And, and the longer we, we go on with this, the, the long the better the weather is getting. Uh, it's it's really frustrating and it's and, and people are are, are, are getting uh, uh, tired of staying at home. Uh, you know, the premier has requested and the chief medical officer health uh, stay with us. Let's let's deal with this together because the, the, the longer that we can 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 keep at home and, and keep away from social interaction, the quicker at the end of the day we will be over this phase of the pandemic and into the recovery portion. And that's where we want to get to as soon as we can. If people start to uh, uh, get frustrated and ignore the request to stay at home and there's more congregation, there's, there's more apt to be outbreaks, which then will only put us back further. So the long weekend is going to be really, really tough. I'm hoping the numbers are heading the right way, and I'm hoping the Premier has, has, has some better news to announce in the coming days. Uh, what about uh, as you as you head into this uh, down the backside of the pandemic and such? What is the big the biggest challenge as these businesses open up, and will the customers want to come out? Well, I, I think the, the 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 issue with a lot of these businesses is is, is to ensure that they uh, become sustainable, not only in the short term but in the long term, and they have to adapt. Uh, to the new customers, I put it, because not everybody is going to rush back uh, into the economy. They're going to be tentative, and some people have decided that uh, uh, shopping online is their new their new way of shopping. So businesses uh, are, are going to have to deal with a, a different type of customer, relearn their customers, and and adapt to stay open. I think I, I think that is the uh, 
the issue of, of a lot of the uh, businesses that have been shut down over this uh, short period, especially the small business. And, and I want to reiterate that our, our, our small business minister, uh, Prab, Prab uh, Sukaria, uh, he is working hard at ensuring that uh, they're not left out of this process uh, as we re- reopen the businesses and, and have that support in place for, for, for these businesses as they transform to their new customers. So, you know, I'm hopeful people will get out and it's going to take some time um, to get over that that uh, that fear that's out there of of, of contracting COVID nineteen, and we have to wait for treatment and or vaccine to come out to to put a lot of confidence back in the marketplace. But you know, I, I think if proper procedures are put in place at businesses from the guidelines from the Ministry of Labor, uh, there should be safe environments to shop. So I encourage people when those phases start to uh, support local. Do we know yet when that first phase will start? Uh, again, not no dates had mentioned at this point, but those yeah. phases in place, we must be getting close to that. We certainly are getting close. Uh, the Chief Medical Officer of Health, over a two- to four-week period, you'd like to see the numbers decline. Uh, we're currently into the second week of our numbers declining, so we are getting very, very close. We just want to make sure that uh, he's confident in the numbers and the, uh, the the number of people still contracting the disease, the the capacity in our hospital system, the capacity in our ICU, and their avail- their ability to track uh, trace the disease and deal with uh, outbreaks is in place before we open. But we are getting very very close. Jeff Yerrick has been with us, MPP for Elgin Middlesex London, part of the task force. Uh, charged with opening back up Ontario. Jeff, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck with all this moving forward. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me on your show. Thank you. Uh, as we slowly move down this curve, and the great news is, as I've been keeping stats of, of in every show sheet that I've done here since I started broadcasting in my home office, actually cleaned it this weekend, so it, it looks livable, because I have a feeling this might be going on for a bit. Uh, and, you know, as, as we're doing all of this and slowly going down the curve and, and figuring out how we're going to uh, reopen and such, uh, as the Premier said in his uh, press conference, uh, it's going to be slow and it's going to change the way we do things in a way, in a lot of the ways people do businesses, uh, do business, whether you're in retail or restaurant and, and, and keeping self-distancing. Well, how do you do that on transit? How do you do that if you're a bus driver? Uh, let's bring in Eric Tuck, President, ATU Local 107. He is with us now. Eric, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. Thanks for having me. So what happens? How? What is the process moving forward here, Eric? How are the operators and everybody going to stay, safety, uh, stay safe when, uh, obviously, buses, transit can get crowded at times? Yeah, so as you know, uh, since the uh, we had our first case reported here in Hamilton, we put in some uh, very strict measures as far as limits on buses uh, for 10 for a 40-foot 40 bus and 15 on an articulated bus. Uh, as things start to open up, uh, we're going to have to put some other restrictions in place uh, if we're going to allow more passengers on the bus. Things like mandatory masks, uh, is, that's what's been employed in other uh, countries where they've lifted the restrictions uh, for public transit or for grocery shopping, everybody will mandatory mass uh, when you're in crowded situations like that. Uh, and if we put those types of measures in place, uh, along with shields for the drivers, I think we can uh, actually start opening things up. But it's got to be a gradual open up and we've got to do it slowly and very measured.
How is your staff coping with this? How are the operators coping with this? What is the challenges for them? What are you hearing? So obviously when this uh, first broke, there was a lot of uh, angst and anxiety, uh, a lot of fear. Uh, we we seen what was going on in the uh, U.S. Uh, and in China, and certainly we were very fearful of what was coming. Uh, we were very fortunate early on. Uh, and I think that's paid off for us. That's why we haven't had big outbreaks. And, and our membership, we actually haven't had one case uh, of one of our members being affected as a relative uh, in relation to their job. So we, we've done a very good job here in Hamilton, and that's to the credit of the HSR management and the union executive working very hard to make sure that uh, the physical distancing was measure, uh, maintained even when we're not on the bus. Uh, and to even put that in place for our passengers. That's great to hear. Uh, Obviously, uh, ridership low because nobody's moving around doing anything. As this gradually picks up, what will it look like when we get on a bus after COVID-19? Compared to before and after, what is the rider going to see different? Right, so... Pre-COVID, we had buses that would be loaded with standing loads right to the doors. Um, definitely, that won't be happening anymore. I, uh, we've moved our yellow line, which is the uh, mark on the floor. Normally, uh, it's right next to the driver, and we've moved that back so that we have that six-feet space. I think that will be maintained going forward. Uh, I don't think you'll see standing loads for quite some time. Uh, so we'll gradually, as, as the businesses start opening up, obviously, we'll have to allow people to get on. We'll have to increase our numbers. Uh, right now, we're loading back door. Once we get our shields in place and we have masks for the drivers, put in measures such as mandatory masks for all passengers. You don't have a mask, you don't ride. Um, so that'll probably happen. Then we can open it up to more people riding the bus. Um, right now we're doing backdoor loading, no fares. Uh, we need to get back to collecting fares. Obviously, right now the uh, no fare and the backdoor loading, um, that's taken a great deal of, of uh, financial hit for, for all transit properties right across North America. Um, and that's something our governments are going to have to work on trying to assist us with the, the emergency financing to keep the, just keep the transit system going. Will more buses have to be added to routes, Eric, because obviously of the social distancing where you used to have one bus would take the whole crowd and now you might need two or three? Correct. So where you used to pile, you know, 50 or 60 on a bus, I think the new norm will be around 30. Uh, we got 30 to 35 seats. And if you put a couple of PMDs in there, then you're you're only going to get maybe 30 passengers to a bus. So, yes, we're going to have to increase the number of buses out there. And that's why I say not only uh, emergency funding for transit properties, but new new funding to, to help us stabilize and get those extra buses out there to, to maintain the service. Eric Tuck has been with us, President ATU Local 107, talking about how uh, all businesses, including the HSR, will have to adapt uh, post-COVID-19. Eric, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck to you moving forward with all of this. Thanks, Scott. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, we talked about this a while ago, that there was rumors floating around uh, that This Ain't Hollywood was up for sale. And uh, now, in fact, the gavel has come down and it has been sold. To talk more about all of this, Lou Molinero is with us, owner of This Ain't Hollywood, and is on the line now. Lou, thanks for the time. How you doing? Hope you're doing well. I'm doing okay. I've uh, just been uh, transit to Oshawa on a GOAT train. I've got my mask on and my gloves. I look like a surgical bank robber. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine. But, <laughs> you, you know, uh, the timing of this, Lou, and with what's happening with COVID-19 and such, it's a pretty challenging time for owners right now and anybody related to the music industry. It's a very trying time. Um, th- this definitely presented some uncertainties, but... For us, you know, um, we we had the uh, property previously listed. Like our partners, uh, well, my partners, uh, Glenn and Jody and myself, you know, we've been doing this for 11 years. And, you know, it's it's a tough business. It's a fun business. It takes a lot of time. Um, you know, we're 11 years older. And just with the, the state of how the music industry is going, like music is kind of becoming more of a niche market. Uh, and, you know, there, there's a lot of variables that played into it, but uh, it just felt like it was a time. And considering, like, just the irony of it happening during this pandemic was, uh, you know, just something that kind of surprised us. But it just made us feel with the uncertainties that could be presented after this COVID-19 is over and bars and restaurants could open, we weren't too sure. There wasn't anything really indicating what capacities could be like. How can we, you know, really properly run a, a business considering all our expenses and things like that? So, yeah. Uh, we, uh, Lisa Poleski, one of our reporters, was talking to Jeremy Weiderman of Monster Truck. I want to, uh, you to listen to this. Here's what he had to say about you, Lou. We want to wish him the best and give our, our biggest thanks that we could possibly give to a guy who really was there at the beginning of, uh, of a band that we weren't. He was probably more sure that it was going somewhere than we were, so we just... Uh, Send all our love to Lou, and I'm wishing the best. Well, I, I take that love and really want to share it with my staff and my partners because it was really a team effort. You know, being a figurehead, I was very honored, but I honestly, you know, can't take all that claim because it was definitely a team effort that started with uh, Glenn, who had, you know, an idea years ago of uh, opening up a bar, and then we assembled the staff, and that staff became our family, and it was really easy for us to just put this in process. It takes a lot of work, but... We were just very thankful that we had the opportunity of working with bands like Monster Truck, the Arkells, and thousands of others. What stands out uh, for you as your time there? I'm sure there's tons of memories, but what stands out? Um, the people that will be in my life for the rest of my life, you know. Uh, and I, and I, again, and I think that's the same with Glenn and Jody and the staff. It's like we really built a community. So it's the people that we met because of this in Hollywood that we recognize that we'll be in our lives forever. And that's the most grateful thing. And that that's been the biggest asset. I mean, you know, music is great. That's the reason why we do it because we're fans. Uh, so it's a selfish exploit to, to have that opportunity. But at the same point, you know, um, once the uh, band gets off the stage and we're about to close, it's those few people at the end of the night that are really the people that will be in our lives forever. How are you feeling today about all of this? Um, relieved because it was something that was really, you know, it, it's a stressful thing to come out and, uh, you know, just say, I'm sorry, it's closing, you know, yeah. and it was, uh, it was a rough week. Um, Glenn, Jody and I were just kind of keeping in contact a lot and saying, okay, you know, this is happening. And we wanted to make sure that we were going to execute this properly. And 
you know, I feel relieved, but I feel sad. It's bittersweet. Like, you know, reading a lot of the tributes, uh, you can't help but feel emotional. It, it was just so beautiful to see how much this room really meant to so many people. So uh, anything about the future of this location? What's going to happen moving forward? Or is that not for you to worry about at well, this Well, you point? know what? We were trying to find out, but nothing much has been said. Uh, this really honestly happened so fast. Like, it happened in the fact that they came in, uh, took a look at the property, they put in an offer, and we thought the offer was uh, a really good offer. And we just said, okay, you know, uh, we're passing the torch. We had our, you know, we had our chance on the track. Now it's just a matter of uh, these guys taking the torch and doing their thing. But it was like, overall, it was just like an opportunity for us just to kind of, uh, you know, just see what can happen. Like, the, the city's changing, and I think it's really, you know, exciting for these guys to take over uh, the, the property, knowing that it has history, and it's a place that has been really recognized and loved for many, many years. So I think it's really good for them to just kind of, uh, you know, take the course, like I said, and run with it. But uh, we don't really know what they want to do with it. Um, I... I I know that they're apparently open to ideas of still maintaining uh, some sort of a club, restaurant. Uh, so that's that's hopeful. In the perfect world, it'd be great if it still can continue as a, a live venue. I know that's something that Glenn, Jody, and I would really love to see it happen. But, you know, it's unfair to really request and demand things from people. Hmm. So what's next for you, Lou? Uh, well, for me personally, like, I mean, I'm just on the process of going to Oshawa right now. I'm on my way just because I'm still trying to close up a few things after my dad passed away. So hmm. taking care of that. Uh, and then after August, I think I just want to take a bit of a break. I'd love to take a bit of a break with Glenn and Jody and just kind of invest in our friendship again because we've just been nothing but business partners and stuff like that. So, you know, it'd be kind of fun just to maybe do something with them and just celebrate our 11 years. And then afterwards, I'm still going to be involved in music. Um, I, I'm still going to maintain some shows and host some shows uh, in Hamilton and in different capacities. I'll definitely still be involved in music. It's all I've ever done, really. So um, I'm, I'm excited about creating new partnerships uh, with uh, different people in, the, in Toronto and Hamilton and seeing if uh, you know there, there's other things that can happen musically. Now, what about, and I know you got to run here, last question, what about a last blast for This Ain't Hollywood, or is the COVID-19 thing kind of kiboshing that? Well, um, to be perfectly honest with you, we were just talking about that prior to our interview, and uh, we definitely want to do a series of farewell shows if we're allowed to. If we can't, then we definitely will do uh, a farewell show after everything uh, gets back to normal. It may not be uh, at the bar, and if it isn't, um, then we'll definitely still host a, a show or a series of shows to say thank you and goodbye. I know it's so bittersweet. Uh, you know, it, it's like, it, it's surreal. Like, I've been trying to look at this all objectively, and it, it, it's a hard thing. Like, it, it, like all three of us are really taking it hard. So is our staff. And, you know, it, it just shows that, you know, it, a lot of love can uh, go into a rock and roll bar. Hmm. Lou Molinero has been with us, owner of This Ain't Hollywood, with the news this week that the building has been sold. Lou, thanks so much for the time. Thanks so much for the memories and all you've done for the Hamilton music scene over the years. Uh, And great job. Good luck moving forward. Okay, let's stay in touch, Scott. You take care. What a challenge it has been for musicians stuck in COVID-19. Let's bring in Ginger St. James. Ginger, it's great to hear from you. I hope you're doing well. Hey, Scott. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How about you? So how 
I'm I'm doing okay. You know, That's we're it. just uh, doing everything from home now. You know, it's it's the way of the future, I guess, or the way of, <laughs> of the way of the present. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. So how how are you and other local musicians coping with this? I mean, what do you do? Well, I mean, I've been I've been performing for 20 years, and for me, this is uh, a downtime that I've never had before. Um, so it's a little confusing, but it's welcoming uh, because I'm pursuing, um, you know, some other things that I, I, you know, put off to the side because I was always on the road. Um, but but it, 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 it's dreadful. It, it sucks, but it's just how we're going through. There was 28, 28 gigs with uh, about 11 major headline festivals uh, that, you know, they just they're dropping like flies, it seems. But um I, I think I'm coping pretty good. It all depends. Each person's different, you know. So, uh, I, but I'm doing good. I'm writing you know, you songs bring up a, and practicing. You bring up a valid it. point because you bring up a valid point because what this has done is it's made our world smaller and it's made us all have to pull back. But yes. as you mentioned, a lot of people are taking advantage of this and using it just as the downtime. So it'll be interesting to see how you look back at this once it's all over. Oh, for sure. Um, and a lot of people, um, have you ever heard the expression, you know, oh, if I sit down, I won't get back up just because you're tired, right? Yeah, so you yeah. just keep, you keep pushing, mm-hmm. you keep pushing, and that's what happens with music a lot. I, last year, um, unfortunately had to take some mandatory time off because of an illness. And, uh, and during that time, I didn't realize how tired I was until I stopped gigging mm. and accepted that I needed to kind of lay, lay low for, for about a month. And, uh, that, that was hard to learn, but when you realize how tired you are, your body's like, oh, thank you for not making me sit in a van for 11 hours and, you know, maybe having an mm. apple all day. <laughs> um, no, and, you know, and take advantage of the time off while you've got it, that's for sure. So how does this affect your writing? Does this change your mindset when you're sitting down to write songs in times like this? It's mm, sort of. Um, I'm trying to look at it. As, there's been some great blues songs that came out. You know, I, I, I was kind of joking mm-hmm. around like, oh, I'm looking out my window to see if anybody else is looking for me, you know, but without seeing COVID <laughs> in it. Um, so trying, I've always sort of been like a tongue-in-cheek or use metaphors in my, in my songs. So um, creating songs while impacted by what's happening and just sort of using different words um, to explain it, that could cover like a wide umbrella of how maybe a lot of people are feeling, not just musicians. Um, and then just, I don't, it's hard to say, it, Scott, it really is. So my writing hasn't been, I guess it's affected by it, but I think I'm taking more time to pay attention to the lyrics I'm writing. I'm not in a rush to have to deliver a CD. I'm not in a rush to have to deliver a new set. Or anything like that, so I can take my time, mm. which I think in the end is going to provide me higher quality content. Uh, any idea when this is going to end, or what it will look like when we come out the other end? I mean, will you be able to play to places where uh, there's a full house, or does it have to be fifty percent of the room? I mean, it's going to be bizarre to see what this is going to look like when you do get to play. It's true. So we don't know what the guidelines are going to be. I know festivals um, are off the table. Um, hopefully next year we'll be able to revisit them. Um, but, um, so returning to it, it's hard to say because I I don't believe we're going to go back to normal. There's going to be a new normal. A lot of uh, musicians have, um, you know, taken to online performances, 
which could be um, another avenue for income and performance for people because people are now used to not going out. People are tuning in more to these online performances. Um, so that, that could be a possibility. And then that way, all over the world, everybody could see you. Like I could, I could go on tour to Amsterdam for my living room if I wanted to. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it would be way more, but it would be way more fun being in Amsterdam. Well, of course, <laughs> you got to work with what you got. But it's hard to say. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think when it does come back around, like us musicians are chomping out the bit as it is. Like if we don't have a gig in a week, we're like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? I can't artistically express myself. Yeah. <laughs> so I can see at the end of this, uh, perhaps being, you know, like a celebration of just getting back and playing more music. I, I really can't tell you the future. I hope music is still a part of that. We are certainly seeing lots of artists doing uh, FaceTime things and, and putting stuff on Facebook and such and what have you of, of intimate songs and intimate settings, uh, often from their own home and such. Uh, any thoughts on that? Can that go somewhere? Is there something that's going to start here that will continue after COVID-19 is over? Well, I certainly believe there will be something similar to that happening. Um, there's a couple of venues actually I work with, one in particular that we have actually set up uh, a live broadcast uh, TV type studio uh, with amazing audio quality and, and plus video. Um, mm. and, and that way, what I'd like to see when, when we are allowed to gather again is put those up as ticketed events. Um, I understand people are doing things on Facebook, and that's great. People need to satisfy themselves, and maybe, you know, their fans want to just reconnect with them. But I feel uh, a ticketed online concert um, is definitely something uh, I feel strongly about that would happen in the future. You know, you think about that, Ginger. There's some of us that are getting a little older, and, you know, we may be a little bit reluctant to go in clubs, man. But could it be like a virtual club thing? I mean, that would be kind of cool. Well, it really would. It, it, and that dawned on me. It kind of scared me at first. I'm like, oh, no, it's here. Virtual reality, you know. But I was thinking, yeah. you know, how cool would that be? And that goes back to my point of online concerts of, you know, say at 2 o'clock you're playing at this online venue in Hamilton and then going back to Amsterdam. Oh, hey, at 8 o'clock I'll be playing at this venue yeah. online, you know, wherever it may be. So it just – I get. It's hard to really say, but I, I do believe that uh, these virtual or online performances will be included in our future. Ginger St. James has been with us, local musician, uh, talking about how uh, musicians are coping with uh, COVID-19. Uh, Ginger, website we can go to to find out what you're doing? Sure, gingerstjames.com. I have a, I, I did write one COVID song. It's a, it's a rockabilly. Her name started with a C. It's called, you can go on there. <laughs> you can stream it. You can buy it for a buck. All right. Ginger St. James has been with us and check out the website to find out what she's up to and when she's coming back. Ginger, thanks so much for the time. Be well and uh, good luck getting through all this. Well, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Scott. You take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.